Hello and welcome to The 40 Minute Mentor with me, your host, James Mitra. Here at JBM, we think one of the best things you can do for your career is to find a great mentor who you can learn from and be inspired by. So for those of you who are looking for this mentorship, we launched this podcast. In each episode, we'll be sharing career stories, advice and mentorship from some of the most inspiring people we know. And we hope that you can apply some of these learnings to your life and career. I'm always keen to get feedback, so if you have any thoughts once you've listened to this interview, just drop me a line at james at jbmc.co.uk. Today's episode of the 40-Minute Mentor is another bonus episode recorded live at a recent JBM event. Our special guest on that night and your 40-Minute Mentor today is the brilliant Pippa Lamb, who is a partner at the VC firm Sweet Capital. Pippa has had a fascinating career so far, spending five years in banking at JP Morgan, doing an MBA at Harvard, and then moving into VC with Sweet Capital, the investment firm established by the founders of King.com. She's progressed very quickly, and earlier this year was promoted to partner across their London and LA offices, even though in our conversations she admits to having never played the Candy Crush game that her bosses created. I love this interview with Pippa, and so did our live audience on the night. Over the course of our chat, we cover a range of topics, including how Pippa landed the role at Sweet Capital and her advice for anyone looking to move into the popular but very competitive world of VC, why Pippa left banking to undertake her MBA, and the questions that she would recommend you ask yourself if deciding if it's the right choice for you. And finally, her advice to startups and what she looks for in founders and companies that are pitching to her for VC investment. I really appreciated hearing Pippa's great advice on some of the hot topics that we regularly get asked about by candidates. So if you're interested in making a move into VC or want to learn how your business can secure its next round of investment from someone like Pippa, I hope you will really enjoy this conversation. So with all that said, please sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Pippa Lamb. If we could kick off this special live episode of 40 Minute Mental with a 30 second review of your CV, if that's all right, Pippa. It's like the most intimidating opening question to <laughs> summarize uh, everything you've done in 30 seconds. And I, I mean, I'd love to keep this interactive as well. I mean, I don't want to mess up your format, but whatever goes. whatever's useful, <laughs> you know, shout. And so actually, I started with my career wanting to be a diplomat. I'd... Uh, I'd studied Chinese and Mandarin at university and, and spent a lot of time in China. I was fascinated with everything that was going on there. So my first job was actually for the foreign office. I worked for the British Embassy in Beijing and the Consul General in, in Shanghai. And I loved it. It was really interesting. I think obviously one of the most interesting places in the world to be you know, working at the moment. Joined JP Morgan in London, stayed there for two years. And then I ended up actually finding myself going back to sort of the Asia region and spent time in Hong Kong focusing on investing in consumer and tech businesses. So large cap, publicly traded equities, things like Alibaba, JD, Tencent, which is really the first time I, I got a, a taste for, I guess, tech investing. And obviously got to cover all the interesting stuff that was going on in macroeconomics in China. Fascinated by the region still. Realized after that that I, I basically didn't want to be a fund manager. So did what every good millennial who's confused does, which is decide to apply for an MBA and uh, moved to the US for, for two years and basically used it as an excuse to try out loads of different things, kind of explore different career pathways. I mean, something we might talk about later. 
worked companies like Glossier, a few like kind of late stage startups, and then ended it with a, a stint uh, in private equity working for the consumer fund backed by LVMH. So kind of Amazing. consumer luxury. And then I fell into VC. So I've basically been gradually working down from, you know, very uh, like late stage companies to early stage, but always in consumer and always technology. So Awesome. Yeah. A little bit more than 30 seconds. Sorry. sorry you're sorry, forgiven. Sorry, sorry. There's so much interesting stuff there. Um, <laughs> so after graduating from Oxford, you joined JP Morgan. So you spent five yeah. years there. Tech is obviously becoming increasingly popular. You, you now work in tech and banking seems to be less desirable. Did you enjoy the experience when you were doing it? And if you were graduating now, would you do the same thing again? I think when you, you kind of gave me the heads up, you were going to ask me this question, which was basically, should everyone not do investment banking? Which I Apologies think is, to all investment bankers <laughs> listening fair, in the room. It's, it's a fair question. But I think in the times I kind of alluded to when I kind of jumped ship from working for the foreign office, I remembered some advice that I've been given when I was graduating, which was like spend your 20s doing the hardest path possible and challenging yourself to do things that are outside your comfort zone. Now, that might not be for everyone in investment banking, but I certainly hadn't had experience working to financially analyze companies. I actually had more of a creative background. So for me, I, I'm glad I did it because it was challenging and it gave me important skills that have now ended up kind of going full circle and, and helping me in my, my role as an early stage investor. But, you know, if I was to advise 21-year-olds now, I think I would say it doesn't really matter what sector it is, what type of industry, but do something that's challenging. You know, take the harder path and use the 20s to kind of build up your skill set that you can then kind of have a palette of things to choose from towards the end of your 20s. And, and maybe that now is, is maybe not going to work in investment banking. It's going to work for a large tech company. I definitely did get some benefit from working from a big company, yeah. though. I mean, like, you know, when I was 21, I didn't really know how to be professional. I didn't have to send an email, like, <laughs> you know, silly things yeah. like that. And now I, I definitely benefited from it. Yeah, so, of course. Uh, I think yeah. it's great advice. Were there particular transferable skills that you took from banking that if you've been able to use in, in your current role? I mean, it's very different. I mean, I was effectively looking at as far away as you can mm. from the stage that venture capital is. I mean, these were very well-trodden publicly traded companies where you had almost too much information about how to analyze them, about what the revenues were going to look like from one year to another. It's been useful, I think, in giving me a framework as to how I analyze a sector, how I look at opportunities kind of in the broader sense. But one of the big things about moving into venture capital from a more traditional finance background has been realizing that a lot of what you did know is not really transferable right, to okay. early stage. It can give you a bit of a framework and it can help you know, guide you big picture, but the things that are really important for VC are much more about the team. You're taking a lot of different risks than you would mm -hmm. at a later stage. So yes and no. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to talk a bit more about your current yeah. role later. Um, you, were, you were being very modest when you said you went off to do an MBA uh, because you went to Harvard, which is there can't be many more prestigious places. What kind of led you to that, and and why why Harvard particularly? Was that yeah. you, I know you've travelled the world a bit, so was it a desire to go international again and see somewhere else? Harvard's obviously one of still one of the best programs in the world, and I think for me, as I alluded to, doing an MBA is I mean it's it's very different for everyone. First of all, I'd say that no one needs to do an MBA; it's absolutely not relevant for everyone. And I think that if you're considering doing one, it's really important that you understand your motivations for doing it. Mm. For me, it was that I was at a point in my career where I'd really enjoyed what I'd been doing. 
But I wanted two years out to basically have an excuse to try out a lot of things with less risk. So it's an expensive hedge if you think of it like that. You're paying a lot of money. It's a big commitment, but it did give me this incredible freedom to once again kind of pause and go work for companies like, as I mentioned, Glossier, a friend of mine, so he was kind of their first hire. And then I got to go and work for an e-commerce company in the Philippines. I did a research project with The Wing, which is this members club that's just actually come to London. And it was an amazing experience to just explore these different paths that, you know, had I been still sitting at a desk at JP Morgan, it would have been much harder to do. Yeah. And I mean, Harvard, I also, I also liked the idea that there were lots of amazing other schools around other than business school. I actually took a class at the Harvard Kennedy School, which is the School of Public Policy, while I was there. So... So that was a big draw. Awesome. Me. Yeah, I, I mean, we get it a lot, given what we do, talking to it. There are lots of candidates that get to point their career and, and go, yeah. oh, what should I do? Perhaps an MBA. And often, I think, depending on where you went to university or, or your friendship group, it seems to be path people go down. I think there are definitely yeah. times when it really isn't right, as you, you alluded to. Yeah. But I'm sure there are people listening, perhaps in this audience or, or, or at home, who are going through that thought process at the moment, like thinking, should I, shouldn't I? Are there any particular piece of advice you'd give to them who are thinking about that, about reasons why they might want to go for it? Look, I, again, I think it's very personal. And I, again, disclaimer, I don't think anyone needs to do it. You certainly don't need an MBA to be successful. I think that um, it comes down to really deciding if it's something that is going to be helpful to you. Mm. I mean, as I said, for me, I, I wanted two years to try out lots of different yeah. things. And it was a really good platform for that. Other people do it because they actually, they already know what they want to do, but they want two mm. years out to travel, to make a network. And I think that's a totally valid reason mm. to do it as well. So I, I'd say that if you are considering it, just be very clear about the reasons that you're doing it, because that will then frame how you spend your time and how you get the most of it while you're there. I mean, the longest they are is usually two years or a year and a half. And that actually flies by. And as soon as you get there, you're confronted with this incredible amount of FOMO, like maybe I should do this career, maybe I should do this, do I want to go on this trip? And I think actually it flies past and you have to be quite strict with yourself to say, you know, I've decided that I want to do an MBA to get this out of it. And if it is indeed what for me was to explore lots of different things, I had to be quite strict with myself and mm. saying, okay, you know, this could be an amazing time to go travel or I could go and do, you know, a mini work experience thing and yeah. and stay quite focused because it, it flies past and it's a lot of money yeah especially oh, if you do it in the US for sure okay no I think um you are able to build good networks and get yeah. some incredible and you clearly had some incredible experiences and it's been you. helpful for I mean to be completely transparent for venture capital which is what I've fallen into afterwards mm. I mean I got the job at venture capital due to the fact that I was doing my MBA right. I initially was hired to be an MBA like a scout for MIT and Harvard so basically tell you know the fund I'm now working with you know what interesting students are working on it opens up new doors Definitely. absolutely but and, and yeah. to that point I think when you were at Harvard you you were also editor-in-chief of the Harvest newspaper and got to interview some amazing people so the yeah. likes of Harvard alumni the chairman of Snapchat the former British cabinet minister uh, the late Tessa Jow so yeah. incredible experiences so moving the conversation slightly in a different direction what was it like for you meeting such high-profile people at that point in your career yeah. And what did you take from that experience? 
So the backstory was that I'd done a lot of student journalism at Oxford. And so when I got to Harvard, I thought there are so many interesting people coming through Harvard all the time. Why don't mm -hmm. I just be that annoying person that always just emails them when they arrive and say, can I, can I chat to you? And generally they were alumni and it was a relatively easy ask. And I mean, I got to meet some really, really fantastic people. I'm obsessed with one of them called, who's a chap called Alan Horn, who is the chairman of the Walt Disney Studios sort of one of the Hollywood veterans. I think he's finally stepping down this year, or he's kept meaning to, but he's just a complete legend. I mean, I met also Michael Linton, who was the chairman of Snap. He'd previously been the CEO of Sony and overseen that. Do you remember when they got hacked by North Korea? I mean, because oh, wow. of the film that they released. And I mean, all these people who'd had fascinating careers. But the thing that was really interesting for me in this kind of time where I was not really sure what I wanted to do was consistently, they all said, we had no idea what we wanted to do. Okay, interesting. Particularly around the time that we came to either do an MBA or, you know, after the university. And, and I think that was probably subconsciously reassuring that, that actually, you know, no one really ever has it totally figured yeah. out. And especially, you know, now when you can do, you can work remotely, you can get qualifications from everywhere around the world. It's, there's so much choice. Mm, I'm sure that will resonate but, with a lot of people. We often hear it, this kind of almost uh, imposter syndrome, you know, in the current world they're in about should they be in it? Do they want to do it? And, uh, and I've yeah. always said, I don't think anyone always totally knows. You know, no. so I would say that if anyone's looking for an interesting, just kind of 20 minute video on that topic. So the speaker who was at my Harvard commencement was a guy from the law school called Pete Davis. And he actually gave a talk, which was saying that the most in, uh, important thing that the kind of millennial generation can do is actually just pick one thing and commit mm. to it because we're so bad at, you know, foregoing options for the, the sake of missing out. And um, I think he likened us to the, the Netflix generation where you spend basically an hour flicking through and reviewing. <laughs> I'm sure we've like, Shall I watch there. this? Shall I watch this? And actually, by the time, you know, you then spent like an hour, 45 minutes, and then you haven't watched anything and you just go to sleep. And he's using that as an analogy of how the risk is now that you can kind of transfer that into other parts of your life. But it's a really funny speech. So just YouTuber Pete Davis. Awesome. Good it's, stuff. It's a Netflix generation. So. <laughs> I wanted to come on to talk about VC because I think there'll yes. be people here and, and listening that will be really interested in how you got into it. It's a, it's a topic of conversation that comes up with be it talking to management consultants or people in yeah. banking looking to get in. And it's not always an easy move to make. Yeah. So. I guess, firstly, what was it that appealed to you about the industry and, and how did you find making that transition? Yeah. So for me, it was, as I mentioned, I, I already loved investing because I think that inherently it just requires you to be an optimist. There are always thousands of reasons why you won't invest in something, but it, particularly with the VC, it's finding that one reason that you are willing to take the risk on an outlier. But it was also the sense of autonomy. I mean, I, I'd always been in quite a structured career environment. You know, as I, I said, I, I wouldn't change that. I really did learn a lot from that, spending five years in a big company like JP Morgan. But I knew that after I'd spent two years doing this MBA, taking all these opportunities in front of me, I really wanted to do something that had a, a larger sense of autonomy and responsibility. And venture capital is perfect for that yeah. because you're really, I mean, for the most part, you're, you're coming up with your own schedule each day. I mean, there's not, someone said to me at the beginning, you know, if you're at the desk, during the day, you're not doing your job. It's really about being out, 
meeting entrepreneurs, meeting with other investors, getting a sense of what's moving in the market, which is actually why when I did this kind of scout role at Harvard for them, it was incredibly useful because I, I realized that actually a lot of VCs is effectively being in the loop of, of what's going on and, mm. and hearing that deal flow. You, you moved to Sweet Capital in 2018, yes. the King.com Founders Venture yeah. Capital Fund. So can you tell us a bit about Sweet Capital and, and I guess what makes you guys different to maybe other VCs? Sure. So the, the background of Sweet Capital is it was founded by the five founders of King.com. So obviously very famous for Candy Crush. They sold the business to Activision Blizzard uh, in 2015-16 for $6 billion. It was an incredible company. And so the five founders obviously took an exit, good exit from that, and decided that they wanted to spend some of the proceeds that they had made from the transaction on reinvesting into early-stage entrepreneurs. They were most passionate about investing in seed stage because, according to them, that's the toughest time as an entrepreneur to raise capital. You don't have a track record at the point unless, I mean, perhaps you've done a previous company, but for that opportunity. So we're really focused on seed. And and the nice thing about it is we don't have any outside capital, so it's just their own money, which adds a kind of dynamic to it in the sense that we can be quite flexible with what we invest in. We don't have a kind of investment mandate that we're beholden to for, for outside capital. Generally, and a lot of VCs will say this, and I'm not saying that it's not true, but they're very, very aligned with the founders because mm. they essentially were founders that did well and they now want to help other founders. So the other interesting kink about Sweet is that we, over time, realized that where King can be most useful is in consumer technology. So we're a very focused sector-specific fund, globally agnostic, but very sector-specific in consumer tech and Shortcut is to think of things you can gamify, obvious reasons, but uh, we don't do pure gaming because we're non-compete, but we'll do things like you know apps, consumer mobile, things that you can apply some of the learnings from gaming and how you interact with consumers, but to, to other sectors. Awesome. And for anyone listening, looking to get investment from Sweet Capital, yeah. what are the sorts of things you look for in, in founders or companies? What are the things that really stand out to you as an investor? So... You know, notwithstanding what I just said about the sector, we, we do try to be quite focused mm. on consumer mobile. Also because we realize that we're not just there to help them as investors and founders, but we actually have a really very cool community now of all the founders we've backed who can actually help each other. I mean, just part of the reason I was still crossing town when I was earlier was that we had what's called a game jam, I think about six o'clock, which is where founders from across our portfolio all get together on a call and basically compare the you know, latest demo of their own apps. So when you're pitching Sweet Capital, it's useful to think, you know, would I be a useful addition to that community? But I said more of it as a general note to founders who are looking to pitch to VCs. One thing I always say is, what is your unfair advantage in building this company versus the next person? Because actually at the seed stage, it's sort of, 5% idea and 95% ability to execute. Mm. Because, you know, when you're first starting out, you actually don't really have a competitive advantage mm. versus the next person to come and do that. So really try and have it clear in your mind when you're going to speak to that investor. You know, what is the reason I will succeed at this versus the next person? Interesting. Because that will really then help the VC get excited about not just the opportunity, but why you're the team Got it. to do it. Interesting. So, 
So of the portfolio at the moment, are, are you allowed yeah. to have favorites? Do you have any that you'd like <laughs> no to tell favorites. the audience about? No <laughs> One I love is a company called Peanuts that I don't know if anyone's come across, mm. but it's founded by a lady called Michelle Kennedy. It's for mums to make mum friends. So it was one mm. of the first, I guess, consumer social networks to focus on just the vertical of, of mom community, which is a huge community. And, you know, Michelle is just, you know, an awesome founder. She's just had her second baby. And, you know, I think she's a really clear example of someone who's got a very strong mission. It came from a need of her own that she realized once she had her first child that she wasn't getting to meet enough like-minded moms that were going through the same things. And so a lot of the founders that we end up backing are ones who've, who solved a problem that was something very true to them. So, That's great. And yeah. I guess it's probably timely to, to move on to my next question really around, around diversity and inclusion, because I think mm. you're a female leader in a, what is still a, a male-dominated industry. And I think there's been some press recently about the VC industry. What's your perspective yeah. on, on how it's doing? And is there enough progress being made in, in this? And, and what can be done differently? I actually tend not to talk about it too much because I think that actions are much more important mm. than words. And I think that uh, there's lots that can be done. I mean, I would love to be defined not as like a great female VC, but just like as a great VC, yeah. right? But with VC, look, I think that it, it crosses all industries. There's lots more that can be done. And I think one of the ways that I like to get involved is is mentoring either female founders or female investors who are kind of looking to either move into VC or... And there are lots of ways you can do that. I mean, London is great. There's female office hours that are put on by a lot of the, the VCs. And, you know, I spend a lot of my time meeting with awesome female founders. Great. But I also spend time with great male founders. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great. And I thoroughly applaud and appreciate the fact that you are a mentor that loves mentorship. <laughs> Very apt, given the name of this podcast. Good. And as we're coming towards the end of it, I, I'd be, be remiss of me not to ask, do you have a, a mentor yourself? Sort of what role has mentorship yeah. played for, for you in your career? When I look back at it, I'm someone who's always throughout my career changed mentors. I've constantly found people that I, you know, believe to be inspiring at different points in my career and not been shy to, to always seek, I guess, those types of conversations with lots of different people. It's fine to constantly find different people that have experience in, in you know, what you want to connect. Maybe you want to move into VC email a VC and speak to them. Yeah, I mean, it um, comes in so many different forms. And yeah. I think one of the reasons we set the podcast up was we kept talking to people. Some were, frankly, too scared to go out and ask. And I think one of the things that's really inspiring about your story is you've just not been afraid to just go for it and, and ask the question. It just and, means I'm really pushy. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> politely persistent is, uh, is what <laughs> I'd call kind. it. But I would say if anyone is looking to go into VC and I'm not using your podcast to plug another no, podcast. No, feel free, feel free. I feel that's really <laughs> a bit cheeky but I'm going to do it. But so my, my friend Harry Stebbings, yeah. who we talked about, runs a fantastic podcast on venture capital called The 20 Minute I VC. I listened to it. Which yeah. is, yeah. you know, Inspired so we only me. got half the amount of time <laughs> that you had this evening. And effectively, it's a very simple format. He's interviewed you know, a lot of people who are basically mentors in, in the venture capital industry over the last however many years it's been. And if you are looking to, to move into VC, there are tons of resources to kind of almost get yourself involved in the ecosystem already. And I would say that the 20 minute VC is a very quick way of hearing lots of VC mentors 
proficiently. Yeah, so, definitely. No, I, um, I've listened to it. It's, you can do it's amazing. mentorship virtually these days. Yeah, as no, well, totally, so. <laughs> totally. No, I agree, and I, I am a big fan of it. Awesome, Pippa. Well, I, we're coming towards the end. I want to get the uh, the guys here, the audience, to, to ask some questions. But I always like to ask around aspirations for the year ahead. Mm. So what are your personal goals for the next, for maybe for 2020? And, and yeah. what exciting things will Sweet Capital be getting involved with? We're actually decided instead of doing a, a kind of drinks party at the end of our year, we're going to do a big showcase on upcoming London creatives. Amazing. Which we're doing with Daisy and with Contact Agency, which is a talent platform for kind of Gen Z millennials. So that's one interesting thing for Sweet, other than obviously new deals. And then for me, I think actually, I mean, to your question before about female mentorship, I'm hoping to, to work more formally with a few more female founders. So even if we haven't backed them at Sweet Capital, I mean, even if they're not quite ready for investment, I've been kind of making sure to start trying to give back that way on a one-on-one basis on, on mentorship. So hopefully I'll be doing more of that. It's, it's always hard to balance you know, time commitments, but it's something I really enjoy. So, awesome. Great yeah. stuff. Well, I think it's probably a good time to turn this to the audience. Thank you so much, Pippa. That was amazing. I'm sure there are lots of questions. Uh, if you have one, can you raise your hand? And I think Perry is ready with Mike to, to hand it to you. Who wants to go first? Ah, there we go. Okay, we got, now we've got everyone. <laughs> what your biggest challenge to date has been? Um, either professionally or personally, maybe? Good question. The funny thing is, I feel like I've had so many constant setbacks. And, and I think I've just, I mean, maybe you just said I'm politely pushy. It's not that there's been one big thing, because I think, I mean, when I decided to go into finance, I was not, you know, back when I was coming out of Oxford, I was not a, a finance candidate. Yet I decided that I just wanted to work for one of the big banks. And I, I really think I probably applied to so many different jobs in there. And then I you know, experienced rejection, you know, at multiple points in my career. So I think that you have to just kind of grow quite a thick skin, or maybe I just have a very thick one and I maybe I'm just very stubborn. <laughs> Um, yeah and I'd say generally as well that's an you know advice I would give to founders as well is that it's helpful if you are good at not taking no for an answer and if you really believe in something or you really know that you want to spend your time doing that then I think that there's always a way so and it's definitely not that I've done everything right I think that I've always been quite constructively critical about what I'm doing good stuff any other questions Paul so when you when you're at Harvard and you're scouting yeah. for new talent, mm. did sustainability, mm-hmm. impact, purpose, yeah. millennials, sort of different mindset? You know, I'm definitely not a millennial, so I'm you know 48, so I kind of like yeah. don't necessarily understand that mindset. Yeah. But I'm just really interested to understand how VCs think about how do we invest with, with purpose and also with a, a capitalist mindset in yeah. terms of incentivization and whether actually is there, is there a different VC model out there waiting to happen? So actually you've really reminded me that one of the other defining things that I should have said about Sweet is that, they, that the founders of King are in a luxury position and that they are very mission driven. And they because it's their own money, they have the ability to kind of pick and choose things that they believe are going to have a positive impact on the world. So that was something that really appealed to me when I looked at going to VC, because I think often, you know, in any asset class, there is sometimes a temptation to, to back something that 
you know, may make a lot of money, but you're not sure if it's really doing, you know, isn't benefiting the world. So I'd say with Sweet that we've, we've got that advantage because it is their own money. They never want to raise outside capital because they want to be able to just choose their own things. So an example, I mean, so from our portfolio, I'll give you a couple of examples of ones that we've done and then talk about how I, I mean, I don't think you need to be a millennial or anything like that to sort of decide something that you think is going to benefit the world. I mean, we, so we invested in a company called Simple Feast, which is a plant-based concept, home delivery boxes, usually for families who maybe aren't vegan or plant-based, but, you know, want to cut down on their, their consumption of meat. And so a couple of nights a week will order from Simple Feast. But the founder of that, Jacob, basically realized that this was his mission. He wanted to help the world become more sustainable through the specific way of eating less meat. I'm really happy for him because he, so he's just raised the Series B at over 100 million valuation now. And the timing could not have been better because the world has caught up to a lot of the trends that he was working on two, three years ago when no one was really talking about eating less meat. And then another company that we were looking at that I came across actually from uh, as a Harvard founder is a an app that allows you to track your carbon footprint. So we like that because they're effectively trying to gamify your carbon footprint. You know, people try and lose weight, so they have an app. They try and, you know, increase their steps, so they have an app. We think the next stage is going to be tracking your carbon footprint. So they're working on that, for example. Now, I think that all of those are not necessary to be, I mean, perhaps we're all consumers of those products. I don't think you need to be a particular age or gender or anything, really, to get involved in those trends. So. Right, thank you. Yeah. Maybe one more question, Paul? Hi. Hi. So, interested in gamification. Yeah. Do you think it has a role in government services and nudging citizens? Absolutely. I mean, so gamification, this word, gets overly used, and particularly by me, as you might have noticed, because I think that actually it's a really easy way to think about how the people that built something like Candy Crush actually can apply some of those learnings into totally different fields. And... I mean, absolutely, government services. I think, for me, anything where there is a consumer on the end of an, a device that is needs to be incentivized to do something that maybe is not that fun. Maybe, I mean, I use the example there of carbon footprint tracking. It's not necessarily something that's fun to be told that you've spent this much money on flights, this is your food basket, therefore you should be doing X to improve this. But it's something that, hey, suddenly add in leaderboards, add in an ability to track it. It's been fascinating for me as someone who didn't come from a gaming background to apply some of these, I guess, engagement techniques to great causes. I mean, one I really like is applying some of this to mental health. So you've seen some of it with meditation. I mean, one app that we invested in a few months ago, which is still in stealth mode, so I can't say the name, but you know, that's all about basically improving your relationship with mental wellness and, you know, doing like mind gym type activities. And it's basically gamification. You get people into the practice of regularly doing it. You've seen it in, I mean, even companies like Geolingo, where you've got the streaks from Snapchat. I mean, that those are all examples of gamification. It's the practice of creating a behavior. 
And yeah, why not on government services? If you could, <laughs> if you could apply that to any type of service, government or not, I think that would be great. Awesome. Thank you yeah. very much, Pippa. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I think it's about time for everyone to have a, a, a well-deserved drink and uh, hopefully Pippa can stick around and have a chat yeah. with a few of you. Yeah. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.